You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. This is another edition of Weekend Conversations. Each week, I'll take a deeper dive into an article or interview I shared during the week, often a Friday forward. And joining me to help co-host is the co-producer of the Elevate Podcast, Mick Sloan. How's it going, Mick? It's going well. How are you, Bob? Good. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna be taking on the first Friday forward of 2024, which is called Life Saving Learning. Uh, why don't you kick us off? Yeah. So this is a story of a pretty remarkable incident that happened at an airport in Japan. And uh, can you tell a little bit of that story for people who haven't read the post? What happened? Why it was so interesting to you? The basics? Sure. Yeah. Um, as a background, uh, I've written a couple of Friday forwards on things in the airline industry. I, I find sort of the, the how the airline industry runs, um, there's just a lot of leadership lessons. Um, there's one we link to about sort of their practice of aviate, navigate, communicate. There's also this notion of preventative maintenance, <laughs> uh, fixing things before, before they break, um, because in, in that industry, uh, you have to. And this sort of highlighted another one. So last week, uh, a pretty new, very large Airbus A350 was landing. There was a Coast Guard uh, plane that thought it was cleared to to take off on the runway. I think because there was a lot of smoke and probably some fatigue, they had been fighting the fire, and they they took off and and struck the landing plane, um, kind of bursting it into flames. I, I I think the pilots actually didn't initially know that the plane was on fire, they knew that they had been hit. And and while I think everyone or almost everyone perished on the Coast Guard plane, um, the, the, the crew uh, and the flight attendants evacuated everyone off this huge plane in 18 minutes. And I think they were down some of the exit doors due to where the impact uh, struck. And it just, if you look at this plane, there's nothing left uh, of it. Like it's pretty much melted to, to, to nothing. And it's just, it was actually a pretty incredible feat uh, I think it was about 390 people um, that survived with only kind of minor injuries. And as we'll get into it, like the reason that happened is changes that the industry made about from accidents that that happened beforehand and just sort of highlights that the airline industry is really good at kind of studying mistakes and making changes so they don't repeat it, I think much better than most or other organizations or industries. So I, I have to say, I saw a clip of what happened with the accident well before I read the piece that you wrote about it. And I actually couldn't believe when I found out that everyone on the plane, jumbo jet, survived the crash. It's it's actually, if you watch what happened, it literally bursts into flames into as flames, soon as yeah. it lands. It It is nothing short of a miracle. So like that, there is a reason that this was a focal point. I, I'm curious... What do you think is unique to the airline and the aviation industry that has this type of way of thinking about and learning from mistakes? And can you talk about some of the iterations that the industry made to make this miracle possible? Yeah, look, the mistakes are are pretty visible and pretty catastrophic, right? And 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 so I think um, you know, sometimes like a pipe leaks and a building blows up, but but it sort of wasn't expected 
for that pipe to leak. And so, so you look at that, you're like, oh, that's a tragedy. But people kind of know if an airplane doesn't work or make a mistake, the the effect is is going to be catastrophic. So the industry, you know, also has a board. Uh, the U.S. has the NTSB, but there's a bunch of different organizations that their focus is to examine these, determine what went wrong, kind of report out to everyone and then make changes. And we talk about, and they talk about these accidents and incidents as kind of a learning point. So I I think these people all being alive is the combination of two accidents that are sort of known in the industry from 20 years ago. You know, on the first one, there was a fire in a plane and they landed and they didn't evacuate uh, everyone quickly enough and all, all the passengers died. Um, and then on the next plane, there it was taking off, I think. Uh, and then on the next one, there there was a, a fire in the cabin, and uh, it was landing, and um, people couldn't find the exits. They weren't lit, and and the materials that were combustible uh, in the airplane had sort of caused toxic smoke, and sort of everyone died from suffocation, even though the plane was on on the ground. So the combination of those things led to changes in the industry, both on like training about how to get people off a plane quickly. And as soon as there's any sign of thing, you pull the chutes and you start the process. Um, And I think there's a goal of like, you know, 90 seconds or something like that. I guess that can't be possible. Um, And then they changed how, you know, materials that could be on planes, where the exits were, where the lighting are, lights, you know, so that you can see them in the smoke, all the stuff they talk to you about before every flight and you totally ignore. And, you know, a lot of the aviation experts have sort of postulated that, again, this kind of miracle is the combination from from all the learning from those two things. There also, interestingly, was a major crash in Japan years ago, where I think four or 500 people died on a jumbo jet on Japan Airlines. And so they kind of have stuff on up on the wall in there and, 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 and kind of, it's a constant reminder to people around safety and training and, and protocol. And, and it's one considered one of the safest airlines in the world. So again, I think they, that, that it was a relatively new aircraft kind of had the best and newest technology. As you said, if you watch the video of this, you can't believe that then anyone survived. And then the crew just acted in expert fashion with their, with their training. Yeah, again, I would encourage if you're not super skittish about flying, I would encourage you if you're listening to this to look at <laughs> look at the clip because it's it's absurd. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers, 
with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com elevate. So I, I want to talk about double click on something because you talked about how when there is a mistake in the aviation industry, it's obviously you can't really hide it. It often goes viral immediately. (laughs) And the lesson is that when mistakes are really brought to the surface and you have to face them, that is where you have the possibility of learning from them. So I want to talk about psychological safety and how leaders can make it so that their people feel safe to bring that type of attention to their mistakes or to mistakes that their teams make or that they see being made, even if they aren't in an aviation situation where it is impossible to hide them. How, as a leader, do you think people can spotlight those types of mistakes and make people feel safe bringing them forward? Yeah, look, it's about the the culture you create. And there's a long-used example. Uh, I know we were just talking before <laughs> about Ray Dalio, and I guess, you know, the latest book says, says some things. But, but you know, Ray operated Bridgewater, high-frequency trading, a lot of money on the line. When people make a mistake or a bad trade, you know, that you, you, you want to cover it up. And this is where most of the problems start because then they try to dig out of their hole. And I know he set in his culture years ago, this concept of a mistake log where it was a, it was a fireable offense not to put your mistake in the mistake log, but it was not a fireable offense to make a mistake. I, I remember talking to a friend who led a company years ago and the engineer had just made like a massive mistake. And he said a similar thing to me. Like I, I, he's one of our best engineers, like, but I, I, I'm not going to fire him. A, he's one of the best engineers, but but B, like if I if I sort of let people know that they're fired, that they make a mistake, like I, I think they're just going to hide everything else that goes wrong and it's just going to compound and get worse. So this is the story behind the Volkswagen was a Friday forward too about uh, what happened to Volkswagen when, you know, they realized that this this diesel engine that they promised that would both be low emission and high miles per gallon um, or kilometer in that case, like didn't work. And they were so afraid of telling the boss because he had horrid failure that they hit it and cheated it and 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 this whole thing rather than being like it doesn't work. So rather I have to go out and say it doesn't get the mileage we said or it doesn't get this or let's put our ingenuity to fixing the problem. In this case, they put their ingenuity on a whole system that cheated and reported in false false information. So I I, I think this is what happens in a lot of organizations. Like the culture is is, is sort of a fear around failure, uh, and unfortunately, I think. People just then sweep these things under the rug. As you said, whether it's cell phone cameras or a plane falling out of the sky, there's not a lot of chance to to hide these in the airline industry, which is a which is an advantage that they have. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of news going around. There's been a recent book about Ray Dalio and Bridgewater that is too complicated to get into. But I do think the point is that the principle 
ties really well to the idea of setting the right incentives. And to your point, if you say, if you make a mistake, you're fired, versus if you make a mistake and don't report it, you're fired, what you're basically doing is, if someone thinks they'll be fired if they make a mistake, that means that they want, at all costs, their mistakes not to come to light. Yeah, and look, in trading and in financial services, what usually people get in a hole and then they quietly try to dig out of it (laughs) by doubling down. And then by the time people learn about it, they've, you know, created a massive liability for the for the company. Yeah. And so there there's a lot of power in that. The thing that actually come out in the reporting about Bridgewater in the recent book about the, the fund is that it created actually a seesaw effect of the incentive where there was such an incentive to report mistakes that people were supposedly spending, according to the reporting, an enormous amount of time trying to find others' errors and log them. <laughs> right. Incentives, it's behavior follows incentives, right? So our, our yeah. Yeah. And so I, I guess, what do you think about striking the right balance and making sure that people are reporting and learning from the important mistakes, but they're not spending all of their time trying to find yeah. every tiny thing? It, it probably made such an example of that, that it became kind of a perverse effect of, of, of the culture. But yeah, there's an 80-20 rule. And look, there's uh, the notion of above the water or the below the water you know, line mistakes, ones that will sink the ship or not sink the ship. So I think we should focus, you know, from a learning standpoint, you focus on the things that could have sunk the ship or might sink the ship next time if they're, if they're bad. You know, for instance, there was another incident where a door fell off a Boeing, you know, plane this week and the plane landed and was fine. But no, no one's walking away saying, oh, no big deal, right? <laughs> Generally, you don't want doors falling off during flight. So, so they're going to dig into that um, and, and um, you know, look at that more closely. So because that, that could have been a, a catastrophic mistake. So, yeah, I think sometimes you just need to dust yourself off and, and, and move on. Um, but other times it, it's worth digging in and you know, one of the things that we used to do and we may still do as an organization is we had the these sort of uh, reports that people would fill out when we had a big mistake. And the goal was actually like, what needs to change last time, next time? Or what, what did we learn or what needs to change or who needs to know or what process would stop this from happening next time? It wasn't about, um, you know, highlighting the mistake. It was about like, let's not make it again. Like, you're hoping as an organization, I think the airline industry keeps making new mistakes. Like you just don't want to be making the same mistake. Yeah. And I I think that to that point, I want to dig a bit deeper into that sort of debrief and learning process. And so what are the essential steps when you objectively acknowledge that there was a mistake and you, you don't try and lay blame or hide from it? Uh, the second of the three steps that you share in the Friday Forward is to agree upon what could have prevented yeah. the the problem, and then how it could, how you can alter a policy to avoid that mistake from being repeated. Can you talk a little bit about the second two and how to actually turn the mistake into learning? Yeah, for the so future? you know, um, it, it, the first is, is actually the hardest: getting people to objectively talk about what. So let's talk about sort of one of these deep brief reports, and I'm maybe paraphrasing and combining, but from from a few years ago. But there's something about a, a client sort of going bankrupt and you know, us not getting paid. And so when we dug into that, it was like, hey, well, obviously that's an exogenous event. That's not our fault. But like, 
well, what 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 happened? Like, if we looked at it, what were the signs? Well, they skipped a couple meetings. They were late on the bills. They were asking if we took credit card. Like, you know, there 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 were a bunch of signs when we looked at. It where like, oh, I mean, again, we didn't realize it before because we haven't had that happen. Usually, you know, that's the case. It's like the worst thing that hasn't happened before is that what happens. And and so when we looked looked at that, and you're talking about the, I say, okay, well. We can't stop that, but what we can do is 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 we can sort of put in our training that like these are some red flags, and if these three or four things happen, then what we want you to do is flag this to accounting um, and tell accounting that you saw these three or four flags. And then accounting should dig in and say, has there been some change in their payables? Is it delayed? Should we be worried about it? Maybe they look up and are there any things about layoffs or finance? And and, and so there's now that we have a process, not that it would maybe stop every case, but there's something that we can do better about that um, next time rather than just, and this goes to sort of locust of control rather than just saying, oh, this is just something that happened um, to us. So I found the best teams actually overdid it, like went on those, here are all the things that we could have done better, even in cases where objectively, like it was a surprise and, and, and they didn't see it coming. Yeah, well, and I, I think that there is a real distinction between using hindsight to blame yourself and say like, oh, there are so many things. If I had been smarter, I would have seen all of these signs. And I think that it sounds like that's not really the point of this. Like, It's not about rebuking yourself for making the mistake in the first place. It's about having the benefit of looking back on it in clear eyes. This, These are the things that I could have noticed and that I will notice and will train other people to notice in future situations. And this is what the military does after every single event. Like it's called the after action report. That's what it's modeled. What worked? What went wrong? How do we fix it? How do we not make, you know, this is what good organizations do. Look, it's what sports teams do. You go look at the tape. Unfortunately, it's just not what business organizations do enough. And I think you have to take that blame out of it in order for people to agree to what went wrong. Like, again, to say like, look, the account manager, again, I'm not blaming you. You've never dealt with a bank, but you know, like probably, you know, these questions should have raised a red flag or could have, or otherwise, like you just, that's the only way to then determine, look, we can't trust people's subjectivity on this. So we need to tell them the red flags because clearly this person missed the red flags. But I think a lot of people have just, uh, a problem with you know looking about what went wrong they love blaming outside forces you know we try to say great all the outside forces are great but what what are the thing what are the parts of it that we control sales teams are notorious for this I talked about it in elevate your team they love to blame all outside exogenous forces like if i ever led a sales team i would be like if we lose a deal you cannot talk about anyone else like what <laughs> what could we have done better about the pitch what could we have done better about the pricing you know what otherwise you're not going to have any learning for next time yeah and I, I think that that's particularly important in cases where the environment that you're operating in is going to be really consistent like if you're a sales team and you're losing a bunch of things because you're in an economic environment where people are worried about committing to high prices, that's probably not going to change if like the economic environment is choppy in that way. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So there's always there's always different um, exogenous forces, but focusing on uh, again what what you can control. Again, in this case, you cannot control that a plane hits you, but you definitely can control what do you do if your plane is on fire. No one is no one is blaming 
you know, anyone in that case. I, I, I imagine sitting around as the plane gets hit and be like, oh, geez, we had the right away. Like, what the hell? Like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just not going to do any good. Yeah. If, if, if everyone was just sitting on the plane saying, oh, I can't believe someone screwed up so badly. Right. Can't believe we just got hit by this plane. Like, yeah. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Harvard Business Review provides information, tools, and practical advice on leadership, management, and strategy through the hbr.org website, their print publication, and their podcast. hbr.org is your go-to for leadership and business management articles. A recent favorite is stop eliminating perfectly good candidates by asking them the wrong questions. Then there are other world-famous case studies, which premium subscribers can access as well. HBR produces a number of leading podcasts from HBR on leadership to my favorite, the HBR IdeaCast podcast. A subscription to HBR also includes access to videos, the big idea, HBR magazine, and a wide variety of newsletters. While much of the Harvard Business Review content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. Go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Uh, so I, I do think to your point, a lot of people, it's so comfortable to either blame someone else or to blame some sort of ambient external forces rather than admitting that you made a mistake or that you were wrong. I'm curious, is have you struggled in the past to admit when you're wrong? And if so, like how did you break that tendency? I mean, everyone struggles to to admit they're wrong. Um, but but I and I think what gets people out of it realizing that again, if I can if I can acknowledge what I did wrong, then 
I, look, I hate repeating mistakes. Hate it. Hate it as an organization. <laughs> like, fine with making it. Like, let's make new ones. So, so obviously, like, I, I want to be aware of my own decisions and my own behavior because I don't, I don't want to do that. That's not the outcome that I want. So, but it, look, this, this is not easy, and that's why I think in high performing teams and good group teams, they can have these hard discussions without people taking it personally. And again, they can talk about ideas and not not people in this notion of kind of like task conflict, not, not role conflict. I think, again, a smart, high-performing, high-psychological psych- safety team would brainstorm all of the signs that they missed, understanding that that's op- an opportunity, not a, not a blame. Obviously, with aviation, an industry that's really great at acknowledging and learning from mistakes, part of that, as you're saying, is that the consequences of mistakes and of failures can be really, really mortal to a large number of people. Do you think that part of what could help people have better discussions about mistakes is if the stakes of those mistakes are made more clear? And if when you sit down and think about something, say, if we make this type of mistake again, or if we do it repeatedly, it'll have this type of cost, or it could lead to this type of problem for our customers. Everyone's inherently more interested when they know how it affects them, right? If the bankrupt customer affects your bonus, I think you're going to pay a lot closer attention. So yeah, I think the cost of that is important. You know, it sounds like again, I'm not just I'm not just harping on the thing. Like here's here's the damage that it causes, right? Because as you said, sometimes it's not clear and sometimes it's not contained towards the group from where it came from. The the effects hit in, 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 in different places. Another thing that's really interesting about the aviation industry that you talk about in the piece is that when there's a new learning, when there's a new safety procedure, a new training, that is not just kept by the airline that came up with it. It is shared widely and everyone benefits from the learning. Do you think that this is something that could ever work in other industries? Or do you think that it's a unique aviation thing because one plane crash affects everyone's perception? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting, it's unique in aviation. In theory, if a United Airlines plane crashes, it's probably better for American Airlines. You know, all, all, People might be more scared to fly, but probably people are more scared of flying United. So you could, you know, this is not dissimilar to how people act in other industries. And, and you know, we saw there was a lot of debate even in the affiliate industry that we operated year, years ago where someone uncovered like a shady publisher. You know, what was the sort of duty to tell everyone else um, about it? So I, I think... I think the airline industry has some unique constructs that just makes it so clear Everyone's using the same parts, the same planes, you know, kind of collective good. I think that would be nice in other industries. It's probably utopian <laughs> concept. Um, and and the first step would just be that organization doing that analysis for itself would be so much better than, you know, sharing its findings with other organizations while nice maybe a, a, a bridge past reality. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting because I guess... It could be beneficial to, again, your example, if there's a United plane crash, Americans' business might improve. I guess I wonder whether people actually think of it that way, because I I don't know if people think when they book with an airline, oh, this airline has this safety record, stuff like that. Now, maybe... No, and as I think through it, if you're if you're if the problems with a Boeing, you know, whatever X, and you fly those, then you're probably equally concerned about it. So maybe that negates. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I I remember in the height of the seven thirty seven Max fear, which I guess is yeah back in style back. now, five yeah. years later. Yeah. 
I, I remember I would get to literally get to the gate and look at my boarding pass and say, oh, am I on the bad plane? Like, what's about to happen here? But but I but I do think to some degree, part of the reason why there's not that distinction with someone saying, oh, I'm going to go with X airline because it has the best safety record is because of that sharing in policies and that understanding that there is like a baseline of safety. Yeah. And look, the 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 thing that one of the things that this brought up for me as I was writing this and thinking about this was thinking about the COVID pandemic. And it's kind of crazy when we think about it. So we're now almost four years later. We have lost millions of lives. We have governments have spent trillions of dollars. And there is really no committee. There was a 9-11 committee. There's a January 6th committee. There's no committee, at least in the U.S., or book or authority or anything that has has basically said, here's what we got right. Here's what we got wrong. Understanding that at the time with the power of hindsight is very different. Again, in the chaos of all of this, like you can understand people making decisions that they have the benefit of now, but they're there. And both sides, I think have been pretty horrible. And they probably got certain things right and certain things wrong, but no one wants to admit it. No one wants to talk about it. No one wants to say, you know, we shouldn't have closed schools. We should have closed schools. We we should have vaccinated elderly people and not kids. It's kind of crazy. Like if, if we had a pandemic tomorrow, I'm not sure we have any agreed upon learnings to apply from. Yeah, no, I, I don't think we have, which is a pretty sobering thing to think about. This, I think, is a really good example it's a lack of psychological safety at work. And I think to your point, the COVID restrictions, the handling of the pandemic, the all of the policies that were in place, especially in America, became such a fraught and intense political topic that it made it so that I don't think anyone wants to be publicly self-reflective about their mistakes because that could be weaponized by the other side of the aisle. Or even some trusted cross-body group to come back and say, hey, here's what we would, again, if if the new thing happens tomorrow, are we closing schools? Are we not closing school? Like I, I, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of governors and stuff would actually like to, to, to know, or, or does it matter on the demographic? I, it, it, it's actually crazy when, when, when you think about it, that, that all the money and resources and ways that I don't think anyone has any agreement on. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's actually exactly the opposite of what you were just talking about with airlines, where everyone, where literal business competitors who are fighting each other for market share are sharing information and are being upfront about things that their crew did wrong and have improved. Like, Imagine if United, I feel bad we keep throwing United under the bus here, but imagine if United How about how about uh uh what was the what was the one from Die Hard Tower Tower Air? <laughs> Ta- tower Air, I think that's right. <laughs> but imagine if this hypothetical Tower Air anytime one of their competitors admitted a mistake and said, "Hey, we have this safety measure that we want to talk about and share with you." If they used that and put out a press release and said, "Oh, I heard this airline's planes catch on fire. You better fly with us instead." Yeah. And this is, you know, this is not a market share. Like this is this is a collection of people who you would think in theory would all care about preventing the loss of lives in the future. 
Yeah, or say again, we made a bad choice, but we made it with the best decision we have. I mean, one of the ones that's interesting to me that no one's ever discussed, and I know in the mass debate, is that very early on, right, the U.S. government kind of told people that masks didn't work, uh, weren't relevant. People were wearing rubber gloves. And again, ir- irrespective of the end state of that dialogue, which I still am not sure is totally solved. And then because, the, and, and there's a lot of people who believe they said that because everyone was hoarding these masks and the, you know, and, and, and the medical professionals who need them in the hospital sort of couldn't get them. So they needed to stop the run on the mask. And so maybe they told not an accurate story, maybe not. It's just interesting afterwards, again, that no one has addressed that or said again, at the, was that, was that, did we just have the wrong information at the time or did we, we, we just didn't want to tell people not to panic because, and, and we needed the mask. And so we said this and, you know, again, maybe we shouldn't have said that, but like, again, that's a big trust issue. And I think if you want to think about, will people listen to instructions last time, had someone clarified whether that was just, they didn't have the right information at the time because Obviously, they wanted to get the masks, the N95 masks to hospitals and stuff, and the people wearing it in those hospitals were, seemed pretty protected by it. it. I understand why this can't happen, and I understand why there's so much fear about it, because I know, unfortunately, we live in not a nonsense world in so many facets. I cannot even tell you how reassuring it would be just to me personally if someone in authority in a pandemic or in a in, the World Health Organization, the CDC, if someone came out and said what you just implied, which is if they were to say we had to really preserve and avoid a run on face masks to make sure that people in hospitals could have them. Next time, we are going to make sure that we have a stockpile of masks for the next respiratory pandemic, which I hope it's not soon. Right, that wasn't their best response, but we but we panicked, and frankly, like, had we told everyone they work really well, you know, there might have been a run on them, and all of our hospitals would have shut down, right? I, but but that wasn't, you know, again, someone saying like, here's why we did it, but we're not going to do that again, right? I don't know. You would just have a little more faith in the public announcements if someone would would declare that because it seemed a little incongruent. Yeah, and it's just like, I wish I could ma- wave a magic wand and basically say to the people who know the most about this, no one is going to get mad at you for your answer here. I know that closing schools, like shutting down schools, that was a decision made in a particular context with the best information available. And I, like, I'm not going to... Monday morning quarterback. Right. Was it the right decision? Right. Not even that. Take it away from was it the right decision then? If this exact same thing happened tomorrow, knowing what you know now, what would you do tomorrow? And like that, I think, in a way, actually, it's a useful framing device for talking about mistakes. It's not even necessarily what did you do wrong. It's if you're in the same situation again, what are you going to do instead based on what you know? Your, your version is better, right? Because the, I'm just making this up as I go. But the answer might be, we don't shut down schools, but for people who live in multi-generational households, they need to not go back to those households and go live with a friend, you know, for a few weeks or something like that, right? Because this is what this is what we learned, that like the kids are fine, but like if they were living with a 90-year-old, maybe that's a problem. So you, yeah, you'd be like, oh, we learned, okay, we, we learned something from all that catastrophe. Again, the only positiveness of these catastrophes that are sort of talked about in the airline industry is they really do learn from it and save lives going forward based on. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I, I hope that 
Yeah, now now I'm just going to get mad. I'm still waiting for the book. It's 4 years later, like someone's got to come out with the book. I didn't I didn't even really think about that until you said it, but yeah, there was literally a 1000-page book of the 9/11 commission report. Yeah, no, that's yeah. <laughs> it, anyway, so I, I was wondering to refocus back on the mistakes example because a lot of this is talked about organizational leadership, team leadership. I'm, I'm wondering in the personal and in the individual realm, do you think that people in their own personal lives could benefit from having this type of debrief process and like a personal mistake log? Uh, yeah, look, I, 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 the, the, the cool concept about a personal mistake log is that, or a journal, you know, <laughs> some people might call it, is that it's really for your reflection. And so, you know, if you were to look at that and say, I lost my temper, I lost my temper, I lost my temper, you'd be like, oh, I like, I don't know. I, I got to deal with my temper, right? I, this is this is something I don't want to be doing, and I keep repeating. So, yeah, I mean, I think the I, I think if you were if you know some of the best professional development people, people are getting better. Do stuff like that. They keep a mistake. They look at it. It's for their own benefit. So there's not even any embarrassment, other than if you're not willing to be self reflective, which again makes it pretty hard to improve. Yeah, and I, I think that it it's that combination of documenting and of occasionally reflecting. It's actually really similar to the conversation that we had in last week's episode about like setting up goals for yourself and writing down what you want to accomplish and then checking the next day and saying, did I do it? Did I not? Yeah, not different at all. So, um, well, this, this has been a good one. And I want to go to the quote of the week, which is from Archilochus. And it is, in the face of adversity, we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Why is that so resonant for you? I'm glad you pronounced his name because I don't think I would have gotten it correct. Um, but yeah, I've, I've heard that before. And it was the first thing that that, that sort of struck me when I went kind of looking for something this, this week. Because uh, again, we can have all the best intentions uh, or, or, or expectations or things that we want to do. Um, but particularly in panic, I think we yeah, we are going to fall back to what we've been trained, what we know how to do, what we've kind of practiced. And and I think, you know, you're more likely to, to uh, do something that you've already done before or know how to do. So I just think it's a great cherry on the Sunday. Um, yeah, that that is also just a really good framework for a good quote. You don't rise to the level of X, you fall to the level of Y. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll keep using that format. All right. Well, that wraps us up for this week's Weekend Conversations. Uh, if you want to check out the post we were discussing today, go to robertglazer.substack.com and look for the post titled Life-Saving Learnings. Check out future editions of Weekend Conversations, which will be in your favorite podcast player on Saturday mornings. And if you haven't subscribed to the show, follow or subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening to. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. 
I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.